with our Bibles open, let's turn. I know it's coming up to 8 o'clock. <clears throat> I'll just leave a, a skeleton message for you. In Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, let's read a few verses. We'll have a short prayer and then we'll share a few thoughts with you. Acts chapter 20. To save time, we'll just read from the verse 5 to the verse 12. Acts chapter 20, verse 5 through to verse 12. We are, of course, thankful that we've heard a testimony tonight and heard a report on the work of God in the Philippines and Manila, and the outskirts of it, and what God is doing there. But it's also important that we turn to God's word and take a few minutes as we close our service. Acts chapter 20, verse 5. These going before tarried for us at Troas. And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And there sat in the window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep. And fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell in him and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day, so he departed. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. Now let's just have prayer. Lord, we want to thank thee for the personal word of testimony of Brother Noel tonight. We bless thee for saving him as a teenager. We thank you, Lord, in thy providence that thou didst call him to work and labour as a Sunday school teacher, first of all, at Martyrs Memorial, and then as a full-time children's evangelist. And we do thank thee as well for the call of God, even to the land of the Philippines. We thank the Lord for making him a blessing to all that he's been in contact with there. We thank you for children that have been saved, young people that have been delivered. We thank you for men and women that have been brought to Christ, even this big German Lutheran. We rejoice in that. We thank you for personalised contacts. And we just commit, Lord, the whole work to thee. And we ask thee that thy blessing will be upon it. And that thou will meet his need, not only physically and spiritually, but even financially. We thank thee tonight that we're able to help in a retiring offering. And we pray that you'll use it even for thy glory of the work of God, wherever thy servants are. Do bless him. Bless Marie. Bless the mother-in-law as well. And bless the family circle. Keep your hand upon them and help them to ever fix and fasten their eyes on Jesus Christ, our lovely Saviour. Lord, just be with us now as we seek to close the meeting together, as we have turned our attention to thy word. Bless thy truth to our hearts. Encourage us, enlighten us thereby, and glorify thy name for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Now, my text tonight is taken from Acts chapter 20, 
verses 7 through to 12. And my subject this evening is a marvelous miracle at midnight. You see, in the providence of God, the Apostle Paul is in the final stages of his third missionary journey. And he visits the city of Troas. Now, Troas was a seaport on the coast of Greece, four miles from Troy. It was Alexander the Great that gave Troas its name. This city or town was the link between the whole of Asia and the continent of Europe. Now, the Bible tells us here in the Acts 20 that it took Paul five days to journey from Philippi to Troas. That would be normally a three-day trip. The five days implies difficult or stormy weather. And the Bible tells us that there was a, a church there. Now, we don't know very much about Troas. In fact, the Bible only mentions it four times. In Acts 16, 8 to 9, the first occasion, there's a crisis. There's opposition to the gospel. Paul plans to go in the opposite direction. Uh, he, he, he wants to go into Asia uh, and he receives a vision. And, of course, the call is a man from Macedonia come and help us. And Paul, of course, if he had gone uh, in the opposite direction, that meant the gospel would have gone east. But we thank God that the gospel didn't go east at that time. It came west. And we can think of Troas, I think of it, as a place of vision. In this narrative, Acts 27 to 14, when we read the story, You've got a meeting on the Lord's Day. Paul preached until midnight. A young man named Eutychus was there. He falls asleep. He's sitting in a window ledge. He falls out. There's three stories up. The young man's dead. And Paul, directed by the Lord, throws himself upon him. And the young man miraculously is raised up. And I'm thinking of Troas when I think of it. What sort of place is it? It's a place of resurrection. In 2 Corinthians 12, or 2 Corinthians 2 and 12, Paul says that he came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel. Despite the opposition, despite the persecution, isn't it wonderful? Paul thought when the Lord is pleased to do something, he closes one door and he opens other doors. He says a door is opened in Troas. And Troas became a place of declaration. And the last reference, of course, is 2 Timothy 4 and 13. Paul refers to items that he left through us. He left his cloak, he left his books, he left his parchment. Why did he leave them? Conjecture. Maybe he left in a hurry. This young man who had fallen dead needed life again. Paul's preaching had been interrupted. And here he's now in prison. And he's looking back to his visit to Troas. And he makes reference to those things that he's left. And those things that he left were really meant that Troas was a place of consolation. Because that young man needed the cloak. He needed the books. He needed the parchment. And these three things were designed to give comfort. And I thought to myself, this place of Troas. This was a place where there was a marvelous miracle at midnight. And that's what I want to focus on. Why out of all the hundreds of incidents in the life of the Apostle Paul, where many things were said and done, the Holy Spirit focuses just on one particular incident in Troas, namely the marvellous miracle at midnight. Now I have to confess, maybe you could as well tonight, I have never heard a sermon on Eutychus. 
Hope I'm pronouncing it right. The search engine Google, when I put it in, um, said, it's hard to find a good sermon in Eutychus. I looked up Charles Haddon Spurgeon, and he had nothing on it. A, a second reference to Eutychus in Google search engine said that the full meaning of the story only God knows. And I've asked myself for a few days now, why is it in the Bible? And of course we could say, well, it's in the Bible to scold people who sleep in church. Others say, well, it's in the Bible because it highlights long-winded preachers. And I would have to say, well, it does yeah. neither. You see, this is a literal story that is in reality, I'm convinced, about life in the church. See, you've got to remember that the Apostle Paul was under pressure. He was being persecuted on every side. The Jews were against him. Gentiles were against him. Paul comes to Troas and he spends seven days there. And he's soon going to leave. And this is the, the, the night of his departure. And, and, and this incident, I believe, was put into the Bible to be an encouragement to the church there, but also to be an encouragement to the church in our day. You see, here we are, we're at the end of another year. And we look back at the past, the circumstances and the state that we find ourselves in. We look to the future. And even though we focus on the great things that are in the past, and the great things in the present, and the great things that are prospected to take place in the future, the truth is that many of God's people are discouraged. Many of God's people feel that there's little hope. That the outlook's bleak. Uh, what's the point? Well, let me just tell you this quickly. There's always been periods of spiritual dearth in the life of the church. Let me illustrate. Third century, a man by the name of Diocletian was the empire. He ordered every Bible in the Roman Empire to be burned. 25 years later, Constantine the Great becomes the empire. And he orders that even the government makes 50 copies of the scriptures for public display and view. We could illustrate again. Think of the Dark Ages. Leading up to the period of the Reformation. For a thousand years the whole of Europe was in darkness. And the Bible tells us after darkness, light we could go on from Reformation times to the Age of Enlightenment, 18th century. A French atheist by the name of Voltaire uh, said that the Bible was a thing of the past, that the church had lost its standing, lost its way, lost its usefulness, lost its relevance, that the Bible was full of errors and contradictions. And he, he said, I will get rid of the Bible, uh, and in my day, the Bible will be outdated and outdone. And yet the amazing thing is, even his home was bought over by a Bible society. And the very printing presses that pumped out atheistic ideology now were printing out Bibles that were distributed in different parts of the world. Recently, the Archbishop of York, John Centineau, made reference to liberal atheists in England. And he said, and I quote, they're eroding the very system and fabric of the Christian church. And you see, many tonight are weary because of what's happening in the world. Many are weeping because of the state of the church. Many are weak 
And, and many have become so weary they've fallen asleep. Many are so weak that they've fallen down. And there's discouragement individually and congregationally. But, but I want you to focus tonight in this. God's work is still going on. There's light still on. And even on the brink of 2015, here in the last Lord's Day evening, when we need encouragement, we need to get our eyes on the Lord and just reflect on this for a few minutes, please. The marvellous miracle at midnight. I believe it's in the Bible for our encouragement. Notice three things. The spiritual commitment he displayed. You see, when I think of Eutychus, I'm not going to focus immediately on the negatives. We could talk about sleeping in church, someone not bothering to listen, not wanting to pay an attention. But rather than do that, I I want to be positive. I I want you to notice his desire. Where was he on that Lord's Day evening? He was in church. He was in the house of God. Where God's people gathered together, where mothers and fathers and children and teenagers were, he was there. We're told that there sat in the window a certain young man named Eutychus. That word, certain young man, means he was a teenager. He was identified with the people of God. And that's what Noel needs in the Philippines And that's what we need here in Carried Up. We need young teenagers to be identified with the house of God and the people of God. Young people that are not ashamed of Jesus Christ. Young people that will stand up and be counted. And if someone challenges them at school or university and says, Well, you go to church, you're a free Presbyterian, then not to be ashamed of that. To to nail their colours to the mast. to, To stand up and be counted for Christ. It's not easy. And you see, in Paul's day, it wasn't easy. Do you know that there was riots in many towns? In various places, there were people hired and paid to attack the Christians. We even could think of a wider context in Acts 21 and verse 5, where it mentions wives and children gathering with Paul to go as he was taking his leave from them. Hebrews 10, 25 tells us, not forsaking the assembling of themselves together as the manner of some is. And isn't it lovely tonight to be in the house of God? Isn't it an awful thing to neglect the place where God is worshipped and Christ is preached? And I'm convinced of this. It's a signal that all is not well. It's a signal that there's something wrong. If there is a neglect of the place where God is worshipped and Christ is preached. Isn't it easy to miss one meeting? Missing one meeting means it's easy to miss the next. When you get out of sight from the preacher and out of the sound of the word of God, how easy it is then to go about doing your own thing. Well, here's Eutychus. And we see his willingness to go to the house of God. And why is he there? He's there to hear the preaching of the word of God. See, in those days when the church met, they had a hearty meal. And then they had the communion feast. And then there was the preaching of the word of God. No doubt there was singing and prayer and the reading of the Bible, the Old Testament interspersed. We're told here in the story that Paul was long-winded. He went on and on. I'm not going to go on and on tonight. But Paul went on and on and on. Right up to midnight. I don't know what time he started. 
But I want you to notice that Eutychus was there and he's under the sound of the word of God. He's not only in the house of God, but he's hearing the gospel of Christ preached. And what a privilege, young people. What an honor. Doesn't the Bible say faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God? He, he could have went home. He, 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 he could have left the meeting and, and went outside. He, he stayed right up to midnight. And there was a willingness, I believe, to hear the gospel preached. And didn't it indicate his love for Christ and his love for the word of God? Isn't that another sign of ill health? A, a sign that something is wrong? If not down in the heart, there, there is the desire not to hear the word of God. No interest or appetite. I made reference earlier to a present that I got in 1989 from my mother-in-law, uh, my Bible. And do you know this Christmas I received another Bible with a different inscription in it from the very same person. And someone asked me, uh, what did you get for Christmas? And I said, a Bible. That's my greatest treasure, to have God's word. What did you get for Christmas? You could say this and that. We could say many gifts. But what a wonderful thing it is to have a Bible that's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Notice not only his desire, but notice the day. What day was it? It was the first day of the week. Isn't that important? The disciples were meeting on the first day of the week. This was a day for rejoicing, a day of rest, a, a day to remember, a day of resurrection when they were thinking about the person and work of Jesus Christ. Someone has said that the Lord himself proposed the change from the Jewish Sabbath to the Lord's day. Someone else has said that the Holy Spirit rubber stamped it by coming down on the day of Pentecost. And that the disciples and the early Christians kept the day. You see, in the Lord's day, they met together to do those four things that I've mentioned. Rejoice, rest, remember Christ, and remember the resurrection. It's a day for Christ. The whole of the day. Here they are in the evening of that day. And where are they? They're gathered together. And let me just say this. Because I believe it's sad that some evangelical churches, not talking about apostate churches or liberal churches, talking about evangelical churches, where they decide that they'll only now have one service on the Lord's Day. And I want to say, and I say tenderly, and I say lovingly, I believe that if we in the Free Presbyterian Church, our denomination, ever goes down that road and decides we'll only have one service on the Lord's Day, then are we not writing Ichabod on the door and saying the glory of the Lord has departed? You see, this was the Sabbath night. And even at midnight, they're still there together in the house of God. And they're all together. There's a man asked a friend one time for the loan of seven pounds. The man says, I can't give you seven pounds because I've only got seven pounds in my wallet. He says, I can give you six as long as you pay me back. And the man did that. And whenever he went to sleep, this friend who'd asked for the loan of seven pounds came and stole his last pound out of his wallet. You would say, well, that was a despicable thing to do against your friend. It is, that's right. 
for to steal from God his day, all of the day, is an equally despicable thing, is it not? Remember John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. We could think about the details here. Paul preached unto them. He hurled forth a message, preached the gospel. At that meeting, the people encountered and experienced the living Christ. They, they had just celebrated the Lord's table. And they experienced and encountered the living Christ. What a wonderful thing it is to be able to say to the Lord Jesus, I love thee, Lord Jesus. What a wonderful thing it is to say, Oh, how I love thy law. And you see, in the house of God, that's what we need. We need to encounter Christ. We need to see him. We need to seize and lay hold upon him. As I've said, this was at midnight, a long meeting. The details of the message are not given. Probably the longest sermon unrecorded in the Bible. But it lasted many, many hours. I want you to notice, secondly, and we'll be quick, the bodily conflict he experienced. Not only the spiritual commitment that, that he displayed, but the bodily conflict he experienced. See, <coughs> Eutychus, I believe, like the rest of God's people, was taken up with Paul's message. And as Paul preached coming up around midnight, there was a disturbance, a distraction. This young man, Eutychus, had fallen asleep. Sleep had overtaken him. That's what verse 9 tells us. He had fallen into a deep sleep. He became very drowsy. And because of that deep sleep, he fell into a dead state. No doubt there was a bit of heat in the building. A lot of people were there. The preaching was long. And the young man fell from the window in his deep sleep and fell down in a dead state. Now as a preacher, it of course takes great faith to believe that the congregation is always listening to the word of God. Boys and girls, of course, will, will let you know exactly uh, what they're thinking and how they're feeling. I remember one of my children sitting here where David is and saying to a lady who was also sitting beside him, I'm glad that's over. I don't, I don't know how long we were going on, probably not going on very long. Uh, but that's what he said, I'm glad that's over. Uh, and of course, he was maybe only expressing how other people felt. A preacher told a story one time of a man who walked out of a meeting. The preacher was very concerned. And the next day he went round to the door and knocked on it. And the wife opened it and he said, look, your husband was at our church service last night. And he walked out. And I thought to myself, I've offended that man and I can't really sleep. And I'm bothered in the conscience. And I just round to see if everything's all right. And she said, don't worry, he often walks in his sleep. <laughs> now you can imagine that this, this young man, the shock and the grief and the hearts of the people because he'd fallen asleep, and the embarrassment of that, I don't know if I was snoring or not, and then he fell out of the window three stories up. Immediately the Apostle Paul goes down, falls on top of the young man, just like Elijah or Elisha, and must have prayed, no doubt, and all of a sudden he raises him from the dead. It's interesting that the name Eutychus means fortunate. And wasn't he fortunate that he was listening to the Apostle Paul? Spurgeon uh, said in his um, morning and evenings, if you go to sleep and pass away in my congregation, remember there's no apostles here to revive you. Uh, but he was fortunate that it was the Apostle Paul. Uh, and of course we believe uh, in this uh, story. 
We believe in the divine sovereignty of God. Now, now let me just wrap it up. What's the purpose of it? Surely the, the purpose is this. That there can be periods. And there are days of weariness. When God's people, not only in a bodily sense, but in a spiritual sense, can, can be in a state of sleep, even in the house of God. The Bible tells us, be not weary in well-doing. Why? Because we often do grow weary. The Apostle Paul, whenever later he went to Miletus and called for the Ephesian elders, he talked about grievous wolves coming in among them, not sparing the flock. And you see, isn't that what's happening today? People talking about the church as if the church was irrelevant and the church was dead. Um, somebody spoke out recently in America about the death of the Christian church as we know it in America. Apparently church attendance has fallen off and been in decline by about 10%. But you know this, let's remember, yes there's the state of sleep. And yes there's the appearance of the state of death. But there's a God in heaven. Yeah. And he died, but what did Paul say? The life is still in him. And of course the church doesn't die. Or the flame can be low. And our spirituality can be almost non-existent at times. And because of that there's discouragement and defeatism. But, but the, the glorious thing is this. That the man of God had a message. And the message was this. The life is still in him. Notice lastly. The material change that he encountered. What did this young man experience? He experienced life from the dead. And it says in verse 12, And they brought the young man alive, and were not a little comforted. That means they were, they were overjoyed. They were thrilled. Life from the dead. And you know, that you can experience life from the dead. We've already heard the testimony tonight. Whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. But also a congregation and a denomination can get life from the dead in a sense. Because the, the state of sleep can be dealt with. And the, the appearance of death can be changed into to, to life for, for Christ. See in Paul's day there was an attempt to crush the church. But the church still stood. We could even think of Diocletian in the third century. We could think of Reformation times. We could think of Voltaire's day. We could think of our day. Here's a remarkable ending. Life from the dead. God just steps in and works a miracle. You see, isn't it interesting that there was no blame for you? You, 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 you could guess. Paul didn't scold him. There was only grace for this man. He got life that night. He was loved that night. He was lifted that night. In this place called Troas. What about you tonight? Troas was a place of vision, resurrection, and declaration and consolation. And that young man began to experience something of that. That particular evening. Do you know what Paul left at Troas? His cloak. That was for his body. Do you know what he left? He left the books. That was for his mind. He left the parchments. That was for his soul. And I want to close. You'll be glad to hear that. Just with this thought. What will you do at the end of the year?
will you do at the end of the year? I wonder what this young man did with the cloak. Did he wrap it around his body for warmth? Did he take the books and study them for his mind? Did he get those parchments of Paul that he had left there for the benefit of the young people, the children, the benefit of the church, and were they used for the glory and honour of God? What will you do at the end of the year? The Bible tells us about Absalom. You know what he did? He got his hair cut. And he sold his hair for 200 shekels. What will you do at the end of the year? Will you give your life to Christ? Will you say, here am I, Lord Jesus, save me? Will you say, here am I, Lord, take me? Lord, I want to know this life from the dead. I want to know this love in the church, this love of Christ to my soul. I want to know the lifting of God and the fulfillment and fulfillment of purpose. I, I leave this little thought with you. I trust that the Lord will bless it to your heart and will think tonight of this marvellous miracle that took place at midnight. Our time is well gone. I do appreciate you having patience to listen. Let's just close in a wee word of prayer. Lord, we just want to thank thee for tonight. We thank thee for this stirring testimony we've heard from Brother Noel and this tremendous report about what thou art doing in the land of the Philippines. And even in the outskirts of Manila, this very large city of 28 million people. And we rejoice in thy work, not only in Northern Ireland, but in other parts of the world. Yes. And, O oh God, we thank thee that the church, even though many deem it irrelevant, and then they look upon the Christians as being oddities or whatever, we thank thee that we're fools for Christ. And we thank thee we can know and experience life from the dead. And we know that there's a God in heaven. And we know that thou art not finished with we thy people. And we pray that we'll receive help and encouragement even out of thy word. And that we'll see young people raised up with an interest for the house of God, the word of God, the people of God, and the Christ of God. And seek to live for thine honour and glory in all thy provision. Just accept of our thanks for the time together. Part us now in thy fear and with thy blessing. Take us each to our homes in safety. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.